Hey guys, welcome back to Techish. This isn't our normal kind of episode. This is a live recording from a Q&A session Michael and Abadesi did with a group of 18 to 24 year olds. This segment is essentially Abadesi interviewing Michael and then they take some questions from the audience. Please note this was recorded in a live setting so the audio isn't as clear as it normally would be but we will be back with regular Techish next week. You'll hear me from time to time reading out the questions as they were inaudible at time of recording. I'm sure you'll get a lot from this episode. Enjoy! So, first questions first. Let's go. Michael, can you tell us what you studied at university and why? Um, so, I went to Kingston Uni. First, just a bit of background. I'm born and raised in London. And I studied business with law. It was a completely ad hoc decision. I thought business with law is going to be great. I'm going to be a business lawyer. It turns out it was a completely different degree. It's three business modules, five law modules. So, I didn't even understand what I was doing actually when I signed up for uni. Um, but I always knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur, essentially. And I thought that it would put me on a, a good foothold. So, did you become an entrepreneur as soon as you finished uni? Kind of. A entrepreneur. So, an entrepreneur is somebody who wants to be an entrepreneur, but isn't necessarily like an entrepreneur. I kind of started uh, like an e-commerce business as soon as I left uni. Um, but I was working retail. It wasn't a full-time thing. Um, so, all throughout uni, I was working retail in a shop called Habitat, which is, I don't think it's around anymore. Part-time job. And that was actually the capital that I used to start my first business. Um, it didn't really work out. Shut down. Oh. After about a year. What were you selling? Beanie so, Babies. <laughs> so I wish that would have been, that would have been a fortune. <laughs> so I, w- I was selling novelty gifts. I would import them from America. The website was called... Uh, I've forgotten now. It was called giftsformenandboys.com. Gifts for men and boys. Yeah, it was a terrible <laughs> business. Like, yeah. I was really proud that I got that domain name, but it was a terrible domain name. Um, so I would import like stuff from America and stuff from China. But it was a really hard business to get going because it's like you might import something for a dollar, you're trying to set up two... I will sell it on this website called eBay. I don't know if you youngsters know what eBay is anymore. <laughs> Even a little bit on Amazon, my own website. And in the end, my bedroom was full of all this stock. And mum was like, you got to get rid of this. So we ended up going to like a market store in Shoreditch, in Brick Lane, like on a weekend, trying to shift all this stock. We made a lot of money on Christmas time. And then after Christmas, we made no money. Um, so I, I still have some of that stock, actually. Wow. So I disseminated like as Christmas gifts for Friday. Yeah, I'm doing it slowly so no one realizes nice. what it is. Um, but yeah, the business shut down after about a year. Couldn't get it to a certain point where it was profitable enough for me to sustain. I was still in retail. All my friends that had graduated a year before, I was bumping into them in my retail costume, and I was like, uh, "This is kind of embarrassing now. I got to kind of make way and get a real job." Um, yeah, that was it. So, how did you get your first real job? Tell me about how many applications you sent, how many interviews you did, and then what it was like to finally get the offer. So, a real job. Um, well, like, you know, that's a bit harsh to say real yeah, job, real but your first, real. Permanent contract. <laughs> your first permanent contract. Your first permanent So there's contract. a few more steps that I, I, I missed out. So after my business failed, um, I kept working in, I wouldn't call them my real job. They weren't careers. They were just like freelance staff and whatever. Um, I ended up going back to uni. I went to UCL to do a master's in computer science. Um, so I got my first developer job in a startup called Urban Massage. It's still around now and they're really, they're blowing up. Essentially, it's like Uber, but for a massage. Download an app and then they'll send someone to your house to give you a massage. They'll do like... Other manicure. treatments too. I got a manicure. Yeah, manicure or pedicure. They've scaled up since I've, I was left. I was like the third employee there. And my goal was I want to learn as much about running a company as possible without actually having to take the risk of running a company. So let me just work at somewhere where I'm like basically a co-founder, but I don't have any of the risk. I get a salary, but I don't have any of the ownership of the company. So they just reached out to me on LinkedIn. So LinkedIn is a really powerful tool. Like if you're on LinkedIn, it, it goes down in a DM. Like you're going to have opportunities, reach out to people, just be persistent. And that's how I got it really. Okay. Yeah. So they reached out to you on LinkedIn. What was the interview process like? See, the thing is, startups, 
I found it to be quite casual. I just I met up for a coffee with the CEO. He told me about what he was trying to do, the vision of the company. I told him about what I was trying to do. Um, I didn't necessarily tell him that I wanted to go and do my own startup straight away because I don't think sometimes employers want to hear that because it's like, yeah, I'm trying to leave straight away. But so I just said, listen, I want to be a developer. I want to learn. You guys are doing an amazing thing. Um, and that was it. It was just a quick conversation. And then I had a little test where they gave me a little project. They said, build this stuff. Um, and I did it and I got, the, I got the job basically. Did you negotiate your offer? So this is the thing, I didn't. Negotiation is key, I was very naive. Um, my first salary wasn't that great. Considering I was like 24, 25, a lot of people that I went to university with in the masters, they wanted to work in finance, they wanted to work in banking and I was taking like a junior developer role in my mid 20s so, um, and I didn't negotiate and a friend of mine was like, this is terrible, you can do much better. But I didn't have the confidence. I'm actually not that great when it comes to uh, negotiation and like put my foot down or whatever, whatever. So I could have done a lot better, just being completely frank. And I recommend like everybody just kind of, just get what you can get, like do your best to actually just, not squeeze every dollar, but like, yo, like if you have a certain requirement, go for it. Um, yeah. And I didn't do that. Um, but I saw it as a learning opportunity as well. Like mm -hmm. I saw it as like, okay, I'm getting paid to learn. Yes. Right. That's what I. That's what I saw. That's what this is my. Yeah. My actual degree. Like, I'm, yeah. I'm gonna see a company get built from scratch in the flesh right in front of me. Yeah. But. Um, yeah. Because I should have spoke to listen to Abba or Abba's book beforehand. It wasn't around. Wait, wait, oh, yeah, that's wait, wait, wait. Got nothing to lose. <laughs> Got nothing to lose. Um, okay, great. So thanks for giving us some insight into the beginning of your journey. Let's switch gears a bit and talk about the company that pays you now, Got which you. is your own. Right. Yeah. How did that come about? So I went to New York. Uh, I just had a breakup, so I was a bit heartbroken. So I said, I'm just going to go to New York by myself. Um, and I went out there and I was just networking. Um, yeah, this is real talk. I was going out there, I was just networking, meeting people. And I met a friend of mine. She was a computer science teacher in, in New York. We stayed in contact. Then I got back to London and I said, I've got this great idea for a blog. What if we just interview an engineer from a background that you wouldn't necessarily expect, a black engineer, you know, person of color, whatever, whatever. We'll do a weekly interview series. We'll just make it into a blog and see how it goes. Cool idea, right? She's like, yeah, I'd love to, like, I'd love to help. When is this? So this is like 2014. Okay. 2014, five years, years ago. ago. Yeah, it's about five years ago. So we started the series, and at, the, at that time, I was looking for like actual startup ideas. So this is when Uber was like popping initially. So I was like, I've got to do my own Uber. I've got to do an Uber for like haircuts or an Uber for like, you know, whatever. And I was looking for my own real, real startup idea. And this is what I was doing with my friend Ruth, who was a side project, just a cool idea, a little fun thing to do. And it just blew up. Like we started a Twitter account. We got so many followers. Like, oh my days, how can we help? Like, what is this? Like, what are you trying to do here? Um, we launched it and within like three, four weeks, we were in like all these other blogs, all these other tech publications saying, oh, what a cool idea, whatever, whatever, really supporting it. And then companies started hollering at, hollering at us saying, do you guys do anything with recruitment? We started a newsletter and the first thing we did was just like put in a couple random jobs and say, okay, um, if you want to post your job here, it's $100 and we've like hand selected these other jobs. But it's, it was a bit deceptive in the sense that it looked like all those other companies had paid us. But they hadn't. We had just got jobs up from companies that we liked and said, okay, this is going to be in our newsletter. And if you want to put, have your job here, send us an email and, and pay us essentially. Um, so, a bit of smoke and mirrors, but we got our first three or four like, paying clients. And I was like, hmm, hold on. So, I'm trying to work on this app. And it's going nowhere. I haven't got any traction whatsoever. This little cool blog that I'm working on has got me $400 because most of our companies were in, uh, that paid us initially were in the States. I was like, well, I've never actually made this kind of quick money before in anything. Like, Maybe I should just work on this full time. And that was it. So that was all within like a six month process from going to New York to actually getting customers paying me um, and me and my friend. 
in our little side project that we just thought was something, just a cool little thing. Amazing. So when companies started asking to feature uh, in your blog, how did you work out how much to charge them? So I looked at what other job boards was doing and we just picked a random number and it was like $100. Everyone was between 100 to 200 and we said let's just try that and let's see. Initially we had like a free option. So this is where like imposter syndrome gets real. You think well we're not a real company, you know, we're not, there's real people like, you know, who train for this, who know what they're doing. So if you want to post on our blog, it's uh, free, but if you want to share it on social media, it's $100 as well. So that was our initial pricing model. People still paid us, but we were absolutely kind of ripping ourselves off. In the end, we got rid of the free model and said, no, you know what, if we're going to be a real company and do a real thing, we just can't be afraid to charge what we're worth. Mm. Um, so that was it. So it was a mixture of seeing what was out there. It was a mixture of just testing. It was a mixture of just getting feedback and just like pushing ahead and seeing. How long did it take you to do the legal side of setting up your business? As soon as we started getting paid, I was like, well, there's got to be some kind of structure here. So pretty soon. As soon as the money came in, I was like, okay, we've got something real. Let's make this into a company. The difficulty was whether to make it an American company or a British company, and that was complicated because both of us were in two different countries. Mm. Um, but we made it work. We did a, I think we did a US company at first, and eventually I, I made it to a UK company also. How complicated was it to set up a UK company? I had done it before with my first company, and it was, uh, it's pretty straightforward. It's, you can find like YouTube tutorials how to do it. It's not that difficult, but it can be intimidating at first. It's a lot of legalese at first, and you're thinking, oh, what does this mean? What does that mean? But like, we just went on YouTube and we figured it out. So did you go full-time on your business from the start? No, not for like uh, a year. So for one year, I was doing freelance work at the same time. I was just juggling um, until it got to the level where I was like, all right, cool. I can, I can pay my bills. Like, I, can, I can survive off this. Like, let's go full-time. So if you could go in a time machine, and find Michael five years ago starting the business. Now that you've been through what you've been through and you've seen what you've seen, what would you tell that guy as advice? I would say, when, if you have a co-founder, if you want to start a business, be very clear about what everyone's expectations are. What do you want out of this? What's a good result for you? A co-founder is like a marriage and everybody has to have the same expectations. And especially like, you know, there's all these things like, oh, prenup, a prenup, a prenup. Or like, there's a reason why we talk about, people talk about prenups because like, there's going to be a good chance that maybe this might not work. What's the terms? And I've seen so many entrepreneurs lose their company because the other person who didn't want to do it anymore said, well, you can't carry on without me. And this is my idea just as much. So shut the whole thing down. And I've seen great companies just go by the wayside just based off that. So that's one piece of advice I'll give myself. Interesting. Any other things? Um, mental health. Okay. Just like a big part of it is just staying in the race and just making sure that you don't burn out beforehand. It's very easy just to kind of grind to the point of where you, you ain't got no more energy anymore and you're like, I want to go back and get a job because this is too hard. And yeah, and checking in with people who are doing similar things with you so you can kind of have an uh, outlet to kind of vent and say, how's it going with your company? And, and you know what I'm saying? Because only other entrepreneurs will kind of understand what you're going through. Um, but when I say that, be careful. Make sure you haven't got you haven't got people that are just gonna lie to you. And be like, yeah, I'm killing it, and then just making you feel like rubbish. Because like, there are some people that are like that. They'll be like, even if they're not killing, they'll be like, I'm killing it. Don't worry about me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Get like a real, just friends that might be going through a similar thing that can understand. Yeah, because it will be difficult. It can be difficult. You might want in the beginning, your friends are gonna be like, let's go cinema, let's go on holiday, and you're like, oh, I can't really go right now. Like, I, I don't have that. I don't have that bread. It's not happening. How do you stay passionate when applying for jobs, as well as throughout your career when you strive for your goals? So I'm a big believer that if you want something, you should put in every iota of energy to get it so that 
if you don't get it, you know you couldn't have done anything differently. Does that make sense? So that's, that's on each of us as individuals. But every time you go for an opportunity, you get to decide how much effort you're going to put in based on how badly you want it. And every time before you hit send, or before you, you know, put your interview notes away and you head into that room, you have, to ask, you have to be able to tell yourself, and this is what I do, I have to be able to tell myself, there is nothing I would do differently right now. Like, I have prepared to the best of my ability. If this doesn't work out, I know it's not through any fault of my own. And I think that's just the best way to gauge it. Like, there are times where you're just like, this is, this is as much as I'm willing to put in because that is as much as I, that's how much I care about it. And, and that's when you know the things that you really, really want. Because for the things that you really, really want, you find that time and you find that energy. And you can go into it thinking, I wouldn't have done it any differently. And there are other times where you're just like, yeah, to be honest, I probably could have worked harder, but I don't think I did because I don't think I did work harder because it just it wasn't my vibe or whatever. So that's kind of how I make peace with it. Um, I think my answer is a bit different in the sense that um, when I was younger, people would say to me like, oh, yeah, life's gonna laugh at your plans. What does that mean? Isn't like you're gonna have the best laid intentions, and a lot of times, you know, you're gonna get beat up by life to a certain extent. It's not gonna go exactly as you want. Um, so I had to become a bit more zen about what is the actual outcome that I wanted. So let's say I wanted to be an entrepreneur, make millions of dollars by the time I was 30. Like, I can't necessarily control that outcome. All I can control is my efforts. All I can control is the process. So you hear people say like, oh, my goals for the year is I want to do this, I want to do that, I want to do this. But you can't necessarily control your goals. All you can say is, like once a month, every month I'm going to do this many job applications. I'm going to do this many side projects that might turn into a business. I'm going to do this many hours of reading on a certain subject. And that's all I can control. All I can control is my inputs. The outcome, it's not really up to me. Like I'm saying, life might have different plans for me. I don't know. So, and that's what I found because like this company that I'm running now uh, wasn't something that I would have imagined myself doing when I was in university. When I was in university, I was much more um, less concerned with social good. To be honest, I was much more focused on. I'm trying to get this bread, I'm trying to get this money, like what any company will do, whatever, whatever. And then as I got older, I kind of changed my philosophy and then I kind of fell into this and it was all happenstance. Do you see what I'm saying? And I got in the end to where I wanted to get to, but just by a completely different route. So sometimes having too much passion about a specific outcome, it can be painful because you're not necessarily always going to get what you expect. So all you can control is your, your inputs and just like, as long as you're content with like, yo, I did this, I did this, I did this, whatever happens, so be it. I was also going to say, like, remember that in interviews, people can't read your mind. Like, it doesn't matter if you spend all weekend reading about the CEO, listening to every podcast the marketing team made. If you go into that room and you don't talk about the things you've learned or share the things you've heard, they're not going to know you did that. Yeah. And if you at the very end go, oh, I want this so badly, I spent the whole weekend, blah, 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 that's not the time to share it. The time to share that is, like, when you are in the conversation, when you're being asked the questions. Throw in those nuggets, like, throw in those tidbits. But, you know, when I think back to my first interviews, all the best stuff was still in here. I never rehearsed it enough to actually, like, get it out. And, like, you know, you're pitching yourself, really, in an interview. You're pitching yourself and why they should pick you over everyone else. So don't forget that. Uh, yeah, every, everything is... Um, everything is sales. It sounds really silly, but, like, you're going to have to sell yourself. You're going to have to sell whatever you're working on. You're going to have to sell your vision. Um, and like a lot of us come from backgrounds and cultures where you grow up where you're meant to be seen not heard and like maybe your parents just say like yo be quiet man like the adults are talking you gotta get over that you just gotta be able to go out there and, and speak your mind and say what you have to do and, and, and pitch because that's actually something that I had to unlearn growing up because like I wasn't that confident speaking and, and, and saying what I thought my opinion was 
Whereas I saw a lot of average, super confident people, all of a sudden they were getting the promotion because they were the only ones putting their hands up to speak. And you just got to drop that hard wiring and unlearn that and just get used to just being like, okay, this is what I think. Um, I'm willing to learn about it. And this is what I've done. This is what I've learned. This is the podcast that I listen to. And yeah, don't, no one can read your mind like I've said. What do you do with the money you've raised from investors? I mean, I think if you raise money mm. and then you have the money in the account and you don't know what to do with the money, I don't know why the money was raised in the first place. That's my personal philosophy because mm. I've only ever uh, bootstrapped, self-funded my own companies. Mm. Um, I feel like you need to raise money for a specific purpose Yeah. because you're giving up ownership of your company. They own 20% of what your blood, sweat and tears of your baby. So mm. raising money and not having a clue what to do with the money, to be honest, it doesn't make any sense to me. Like if you're manufacturing, let's say you've got a clothing line. It's not a tech company, but let's say you've got a clothing line. Okay, you need to spend money on manufacturing clothes. You need to spend money on making people aware that you have a clothing brand. So it might be Instagram ads. Um, it should be obvious. And if it's not obvious to me, I'm like, why is the capital just sitting there? Like, yeah. I don't know if you agree or disagree. Yeah, definitely. I never took outside funding. I mean, I tried at first. No one wanted to give it to me. Um, but I'm glad I did it in hindsight because I just stuck with it. And then I got to a place where I could just make money through selling my services. For me, I got to a point where I realized I needed to grow a team in order to scale my business because when I was just one person in my business and I only had one client every couple of months, it didn't matter. But when my brand grew and I had multiple clients a month, suddenly I, I was not enough to like manage the business and deliver the services. So my money goes on staff. So now I have someone who takes care of all of the marketing stuff because that's how clients find out about our business and can book us in for stuff. And then I have someone, like I outsourced operation, um, operations, I've outsourced like accounting and finance, like every part of the business that has to get done to keep it alive is, is using the money that comes into the business. And that, what so, does that do to free you up to do what? That, that frees me up to basically like keep doing the things that have helped the business grow, whether that's more content marketing, more networking, um, more like relationships building. But every single person, whether you are working or you're a founder, you need to have milestones. You need to know what you're working towards, whether it's the next six months or the next 12 months. And if you don't have that North Star, you're just gonna die. How do you foster good habits? You know what, with me, I don't necessarily have a process. I actually was a very undisciplined, not serious person. Like I failed years at university. And I remember I failed one year and then I came home and told my mum and she was crying. She was like, oh my days, my son is an absolute like disgrace, he's a failure. What am I gonna do? And I never forget that disappointment. And from that day forward, I was like, all right, that's it. I gotta fix up. Like I was always in the club. A friend of mine looked at me one day and said, what are we celebrating? I said, I don't even know, we're in the club. But I don't know. <laughs> I don't even know where And then all of a sudden, I just like, I just became much more focused. And not everyone's gonna have that kind of trigger point. And then I'm sure Abedis has got like, you know, much more like. I got beat. That's yeah, you got, got much more of like yeah. think process of how to kind of inculcate that into your lifestyle, few thing. But I, I just had a shock where I was like, alright, that's it. And from then up, that day forward, I just became much more serious, much more focused. Did you cut people off? So, so people got cut off, but um, I. I started doing things that meant that I didn't have time for other things. So I was like, you know what? I'm a, it's, uh, at the time, it was people like, you're a geek. I was like, I'm joining a book club. Mm. So I'm entrepreneurs. What are you doing that for? Like, I was like, no, but 
I want to be around people that are doing what I'm trying to do. So I didn't have that hour or two anymore to be like, okay, let's go to West End or whatever. I didn't have that, you know what I'm saying? Or um, I'm learning to code. I don't have time for, you know, other nonsense, other foolishness. You know what I'm saying? So sometimes you end up taking away from the other things just because you're filling your time with stuff that is actually good for you. Yeah. Yeah, I would definitely What's your say. Tactics, Abba? My tactics, habits. I've always been a really hard worker. Like, I've always been a really, really hard worker. And so that part of it didn't um, change too much for me. But I think that one habit that I actually had to get rid of is like being afraid to take risks and being afraid to fail. Because if you're afraid of failure and you're afraid of taking risks, you'll always be a very average to poor entrepreneur. Like the nature of entrepreneurship is being willing to put yourself out there when no one believes in you. It's like being willing to go boldly into the unknown. And so if you're like shy or, or timid or um, you know, lacking in conviction, like don't bother because it's actually like a really, really tough choice of life with a lot of uncertainty. So you're just not really like doing yourself any, um, any good. So yeah, I would definitely say like the, the habits for me were just like being more bold, taking more risks, and then um, uh, like Michael said, just eliminating people from your life that like don't believe in you. Like if there are people that don't believe you can do it, you shouldn't have them in your life. Was there someone who inspired you to get into tech? No, I just saw the movie The Social Network and it looked fun being a billionaire, so that's how I got into tech. That's not a lie. That's, that's, yeah, I know. That's, 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 that's a hard I laughed as soon as she asked that question because I knew the yeah. answer was I was just network. like, oh, this movie's cool. I'm down. So with me, yeah, yeah. I was like, I wanted to be an entrepreneur and I realised that people that were my age, that were 20, that were becoming entrepreneurs, it was all like websites and, you know, I'm not going to be able to you know, build a factory for a million pounds, but can I do a website? Yeah, I can. So that's kind of how I got into it. Um, and then, uh, yeah, eventually I, I was further educated and I did a master's in computer science because I was uh, interested in it. Um, the stuff Abba was saying about risk, I know not everyone here wants to necessarily be an entrepreneur, but it still applies. Like I have a friend of mine, he, um, he does like content on LinkedIn, he's got his own podcast in the space that he does. Um, it's entrepreneurial, he's not trying to be an entrepreneur, he works in cybersecurity as a salesperson, but he interviews other cybersecurity salespeople and now he's leveling up with job offers because he's known in his, in his little space. So sometimes you might hear me and Abba saying, oh, entrepreneur, this entrepreneur, it's not necessarily just about starting your own company, it's about taking control of your own career and just like saying, all right, cool, I'm going to be you know, an entrepreneur of one and my career is my, my business and I'm going to just like do whatever it takes to get to the next level without asking permission. Just like stop waiting for permission and being like, okay, am I allowed to do this? No, I'm starting a podcast. Like, um, that's it. That's what we're doing. Yeah. Really hope you enjoyed that. We'll be back next week with our regular scheduled programming. Remember, you can find us on patreon.com slash techish. We'd appreciate your support. Peace.